Good morning. How is everyone doing today? Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad to have you. Um, we're going to get started with some worship. Time to give worship to our, our God, our mighty fortress. And let's stand and sing together.
Oh, 
Let's pray together. Lord God, as we come together this day, we give you all the glory. You, Lord, are our refuge and strength, our very present help in time of trouble. You, Lord, are our shield, our salvation, our stronghold. Our help comes from you, Lord, and we love you and we praise your name. Father, we acknowledge we are all sinners, that there is no one righteous, not even one. We thank you, Lord, that we are washed clean through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came that all people might be forgiven and have eternal life. And so we ask that you and your mercy and grace would cleanse us and forgive us so we might stand holy and righteous before you. Lord, we, your people, are forever grateful for the love and blessings you have lavished upon us. We thank you for our homes, our families, our church. We thank you that though the world seems to be spinning out of control, that you, Lord, are working all things out for good. We trust you, Lord, and know you are able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine through your power. Father God, we pray for our world, for our country, for our leaders. Grant them wisdom and discernment. We pray for one another, Lord, lifting up the needs of this community of believers. Lay your hand upon us and continue to richly bless our church. And Lord, help us to stand firm, focused on you, becoming all that you would want us to be. Lord, speak to us this morning through Scott as he shares your word with us. And as always, Lord, we thank you for all of it. Yours is the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad you're here to worship God with us this morning. Um, when you came in, you got a bulletin. Um, on the top half, there's just some uh, uh, nice pictures of coming to church. Um, uh, the bulletin rips right in half. You can use that to invite someone uh, to church. And then on the back side, there's a, an event coming up next week, prayer and gardening. Um, I'll be here dirty, uh, covered in mud, and I would love if you wanted to join me. Um, uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll start praying uh, for our church, for the property, that it could be a blessing to the community, um, the people around us, and then we'll start pruning and weeding and, and doing all that kind of stuff. So if you like um, getting dirty, it's really nice for me to get to know people while working. I find that to be the easiest way to connect. So if that's you, uh, join us next Saturday. And then on the bottom part, um, this is the part you can turn in as you walk out if you'd like. Um, there's a connect card. You can just give us your email address. Uh, uh, we'll put you on the newsletter, tell you what we're doing. And then on the back side, there's a prayer card. We would just love to be praying for you with whatever you're going through, um, something awesome that you're celebrating. Um, we'd love to celebrate that with you. Something hard, we'd love to join you in prayer. Um, and these are all held in confidence. You know, we don't bandy them about or anything. So, um, so you can uh, write whatever is on your heart and turn it in on the box on your way out or the baskets in the foyer. Uh, let's continue worshiping. Good morning, everybody. My name is uh, Scott. If I don't know you, you don't know me. I come here to speak every now and then, uh, for better and for worse. And uh, this morning, hopefully for better, uh, I had a very unusual experience on the way here. I was dropped off by my son. He is uh, 16, and he is a, apparently California has deemed him worthy to drive a car in the state, and that is a terrifying, terrifying experience, mostly because he's an idiot, and I say that with a lot of love. But developmentally speaking, the way his brain is developed, he does not have the capacity really to be aware of the danger that he is in. And there is, a, there is an app, if you don't know this, if you're a grandparent or parent, there's this app called Life360 that we have on his phone, we have it on our phones, and if you pay a little extra every month, we can tell how fast he's going, wherever he is. And if someone could invent the app where you can brake in the car somewhere else, that would be amazing. I'm sure it exists, like I'm sure Tesla can do that. But we can tell how fast he's going, and we can also tell when he picks his phone up and uses it while driving. That has been a point of contention this week, as you can imagine, because the rules are clear. The rules are clear that we establish you will not be using your phone. And even the DMV, the lovely, very kind and very serious lady at the DMV, gave him the lecture of you will not. It's illegal to pick up your phone while you're driving. And he said, yes, ma'am. But we have found out over the past eight days that he's been driving that he has a few times. His uh, excuse, though, was that the app was wrong. So yesterday, we spent some time <laughs> testing the uh, technology together. And apparently, he thinks that the app is still wrong. But the app is 
pretty clear. If you turn on your phone, if you open up an app, then we know, and the rules are getting clear. You'll lose your car for a week. It's actually my car. You will not be able to drive the car for a week. We'll go back to us being your chauffeurs, and that phone of yours will now permanently stay in the trunk. That's the next step. And he'll have to listen to, it's called radio, FM or AM, radio. He'll have to do that. It'll be, it'll be quite the punishment. What we're trying to help him see and really get through to him is that there are dangers around him that he's unaware of. And, and right now, the way his brain is developed, he, and, and actually rightfully so, his ability to see those dangers is pretty limited. And there's a, there's a good side to that. There's a really good side to young people being naive. Uh, young people who are more prone to taking risky maneuvers to test the limits. We just, my son and I just finished watching Band of Brothers together. Uh, and I was telling him all these stories of my grandfather, his great-grandfather at 19 years old, could still find it online, running through uh, uh, open fire to go rescue men behind the pillbox that there were eight guys that he rescued. And at 19 years old, that he, in his brain development, did not yet totally fathom. And absolutely, he had courage. Absolutely, he had the sense of duty and honor. But he also didn't have a brain that said, you're going to die. He didn't have that brain capacity to really see and absorb all that information. And if he had, I don't know, you know, that, that affects your choices. The more we know, quite often, the more aware we become of the dangers that we're in. We're trying to bestow that to him without making him panic. We do have some friends whose kids refuse, and maybe you've heard this, refuse to even get their permit, the driver's permit. And there's a, there's a trend going on. It's not uncommon now for kids to not get their license at 16 or 17 or 18. And there's some funky things about that, overparenting, uh, video games, like why would I go see my friends if I can talk to them online all the time? I don't need to see them. But there's also an undercurrent of parents who are really aware, hyper-aware of dangers, who've been communicating that to their kids since they were born. You are in danger. You are in danger. Wherever you go, you are in danger. You're in danger online. You're in danger when you go to the store. You're in danger at school. And you have kids that are responding to that by saying, I will just stay inside. I will avoid dangers. That's not necessarily good either. So how do we navigate that as parents? To communicate to them, you are in danger there are threats, and you need to become more aware of them. Just because you don't believe that they are real threats does not make them untrue. I was uh, leaving here one morning after speaking, and I was turning left on Miramar, and I was at the stoplight, and the light turns green, and I've made it a habit of waiting a couple beats before going. And I start going, and out of the corner of my eye, I see a car still coming through the intersection. And it was a big, huge utility truck, and I look, and I see the guy, and he's looking straight down on his phone, and he's going 55, 60, straight at me. And just the, the, the split seconds of me to floor the and fishtail and just barely miss it, and him and I to catch eye contact, split second, and you see the panic on his face and the realization that he went through a red light. And I just am so thankful that I've had almost 30 years of driving to have that awareness that there are, there are dangers out there. And even so, even knowing the dangers, even being aware of them, even believing in them, you can still get rear-ended, can't you? We're going to have a conversation this morning uh, in this larger context in the series of being rooted in Christ. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul wrote these letters to the different churches that were being established. And he had a particular prayer, similar to the prayer we received this morning, and his prayer was said something like this, as you trust in Christ, as you trust in Christ, and that's an actionable term, trust in Christ, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. As you trust in Christ, in the process of trusting him, your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. But today we're going to talk about how it's not that simple. It, it's not that simple uh, just to grow in Christ. It's not that simple to come here and just show up more to church and pray more and read the Bible more. There's other forces, there are other dangers that are in play that can detract us, distract us from that rootedness. Those of us who have lived for a while, it's hard to imagine any of us have navigated through life without bumping into some significant 
forces at our odds to our thriving, to our health, and to our well-being, or the people that we love. You think I just have a list. Uh, uh, addiction, anxiety, depression, loneliness, feeling abandoned, actually being rejected, hurt, or abused. None of us escape those forces against us. I uh, often talk about my coaching experiences. Yesterday I was on the soccer field and uh, coaching my daughter's team, eight and nine-year-old girls, and maybe one of the sweetest little children I've ever been around and coached is on the team right now. Her name is Olivia, just the sweetest little girl, and everything she does is sweet and sincere and kind, and it's the first time she's playing. She's the youngest on the team, and just this past Monday, we had this theme of the week where we're trying to teach the girls to follow through. Many of them will just kick the ball and stand and watch, and so we're teaching them, like, there's the theme, when you kick it, then you follow the ball, you follow through, and you keep going. And so we had a lot of these drills, and she, uh, in this very sweet spirit, uh, is a, the best listener on the team as well. She'll, she wants to know what's expected, and then she goes and does it. So in the drills on Monday, I, I said, okay, everyone sit down after these drills. And, and I said, You're, one of you really stood out as the queen of follow-through today. And I said, it was Olivia. And then Olivia just brightens up, and, and everyone's like, oh, good. And then... Uh, and then she's kind of like, what do I get? I'm like, you, nothing. You get, you're just the queen today. And one of the sweetest moments, she came up to me about 20 minutes later in a scrimmage, and, and she said, Coach, and I, I, I can't even, uh, uh, no exaggeration, Coach, am I really the queen of follow-through? And I was like, I put my hand on her shoulder. I'm like, yes, Olivia, you are. She goes, wow. I've ne-, and she said this, I've never been good at soccer before. And I go, well, you are today. And then she runs off. So this is Olivia. Yesterday in the game, it's one of those moments where she gets, uh, she turns around and, and the ball goes by her and this very strong kicked girl uh, boots the ball and it kicks her right in the chest. Like one of those boom, boom, like really, and everyone stops. Like, Ooh, and it's Olivia. And I run out there and bring her back in and she's crying. And of course, and she got the wind knocked out of her. It was awful. So she's sitting down. She comes up next to me on the sideline. It's been five or 10 minutes. I said, just go sit with your parents and they're taking care of her. She comes, sits, and she can still see, like, the little tracks of tears in her eyes. And she's standing next to me while I'm coaching, and, and she says, um, <laughs> I said, are you okay? How you? That was a hard hit. And she goes, I know. And then she says, yes, I was thinking, uh, I should go get that girl back. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> she said, yeah, I should go. She kicked me. I should go kick her. <laughs> and I said, uh, Olivia, remember our, one of our themes is kindness. And she goes, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, that would not be kind. And she goes, it wouldn't. And I go, no, I'm not, again, not a joke. I said, part of being kind is learning to forgive. And that was an accident. And she says, okay, coach. And then she runs out there. I think of this sweet, kind, just gentle spirit. And you just want to like protect her but I know as a parent, and I know now working with kids for 20 years, that little sweet spirit went back out on the fields. And I heard about it from my daughter later. There was another girl in the team that kept elbowing on purpose girls in the stomachs and saying, you stink. You're not good at soccer. And I don't know if Olivia was one of those recipients of that. My daughter was, and she was upset. And, and I just realized, and that's not just that age. It's all through life. There are these forces against her. And no matter how sweet and kind she is, she's going to have these experiences that are going to tempt that and try to pull that out of her. No matter how hard we try to stay rooted, there are enemies, forces against us. Paul talks about this earlier before he says the prayer. He says this in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, and you're going to hear this cultural phrase in just a second as I read this, it's a phrase that many of us, will, will, you'll just hear about this, like on the news sometimes, or in conversations with friends. It comes from this passage in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you, were, when you followed the ways of the world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us uh, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And Paul, uh, he wouldn't have been an ad man in, 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 uh, in his day because he says things in pretty complicated ways. So the, the madman version of that is the phrase that you might be familiar with, the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Maybe you've said that before, like, well, you know, when you talk about what's going on these days, you might say, well, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's this phrase of like these buckets of opposing forces to good and to God. The world, the flesh, and the devil are real characters in the scripture story. Ever since, really, the entire narrative from Genesis to Revelation, there is a character, a part of this story, that is at odds with what God is trying to do. To manifest himself, to, uh, uh, to, to bring about everything that's right, there is an opposing force. And these buckets, the world, and the systems of the world, are at odds with what God wants. We see this uh, uh, friend of mine, maybe a friend of yours, Michelle LeBeau, she worked here, one of the founding staff members here at this church, and a great friend of mine, and for years now, she's been working at the San Diego Rescue Mission, working amongst the homeless in San Diego, and and spearheading these new initiatives of bringing mentoring to folks on the streets. And so I've been, and she's brought me in to to work with them the last couple years, and I hear stories and stories, and you start to hear Uh, through this lens of the world and the flesh and the devil, you hear stories of people that are really in dire straits and suffering, and you hear about these systems that really precipitated them getting into a place where they no longer could take care of themselves. And I'm not, I don't see that in my day-to-day life. I I don't see systems that are at odds with me thriving. I'm not a part of that, but the systems are real, even if I don't see them. You see the flesh, and Paul talks a lot in the New Testament about the flesh is the sense of uh, desires that we have to try to contain and control ourselves and get what we're lacking on our own. And so we go to places and try to receive the, 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 the things that we want from places that are actually destructive to us, the flesh. And then there's this character, and it's described, he's described in different forms and fashions all through the Bible as the devil or Satan or the deceiver, He's a part of the story from the get-go, from the snake in the garden to Revelation. And we're going to look at, in this final part of the talk this morning, at uh, an interaction that Jesus has with the devil himself. We're going to look at that. If you could turn to me, if you got your Bibles, and this is, uh, this is a first for me. I got my glasses so I can read the Bible. Thank you. <clears throat> the world, the flesh, and the devil, I can't see anymore. This is in uh, Luke chapter 4. Uh, verse 1, because as I was thinking about, as Steve said, hey, this morning in this Rooted series, I wanted you to talk about how there is an enemy, there's an enemy uh, that is uh, at our odds. It's, it's against us and against being rooted in Christ and his love. And the question that came up for me as I was thinking and, and preparing for this is how does, how does Jesus respond to the devil, the enemy? What does Jesus say and fortunately, we do have a, a great story in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 1, that talks about how Jesus responds and confronts the devil. So here it is in uh, verse 1. This is right at the beginning of the story of Jesus. He says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, well, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left them, left him until the next opportunity came. He's not done yet. He's still in the story. Jesus, the one we try to emulate and follow, the one we worship, the one we pray to, the one we interact with and learn from, has an interaction in a really concentrated way with the devil who is a part of the story. 
Uh, Henry Nouwen was an author that I've learned a lot from. He died in 1997, but he wrote specifically about this particular passage. And I've thought about this as a, really a, a, a lens to look through at my own transformation and formation into Christlikeness. He looks at, Henry Nouwen looked at these three particular temptations that the devil himself had to Jesus and how Jesus responds. And he uh, translates them into a language maybe that you and I would understand. The first thing, the first temptation, as the devil comes and says, I know you're hungry, why don't you fix that? You're in need, why don't you fix that hunger? You could do it. And Henry Nouwen talks about this temptation that we all have, that Jesus has too, the temptation to be relevant, to be able to do something to fix a situation. And oftentimes, those of us uh, who are in a, a, a part of our life, or, or maybe you're a parent and your kids no longer need you anymore, you're no longer relevant to them, they have a, a, there's, a, there's something that happens to us where all of a sudden we feel like disoriented to who I am and to my value. What do, I, what do, what do you mean you don't need me anymore? You're off driving by yourself. Uh, many of us who've uh, gone through, like, let's say, a retirement, and you're no longer doing what you used to do, you're wondering, what's my relevance? And there's whispers there. You're not relevant anymore. You don't have anything to offer anymore. That's the first temptation. The second one, where the devil uh, uh, takes him and says, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. All of this could be yours. Henry Nouwen talks about that being the temptation to be powerful, to have the ability to be in charge of things and order things and organize things the way you want them to, to go. Uh, you see that in little kids who uh, have playdates and they start fighting for power. Who's in charge and who's, who gets to organize and order things? And when someone moves your cheese, as that book said, you get really insulted. And you can see that play out. How dare you infringe upon my cheese, my power? And you see conflicts come from people that even you love and appreciate and respect. All of a sudden, you feel like there's some power struggles. And there's, there's a force there. The devil then uh, tempts Jesus and takes him up to the top of the temple, the highest mountain, the highest hill in, in their land, and says, just jump off. And in front of everybody here worshiping and, and mingling about, people will see you jump off, and then the angels will rescue you. There's no way the Son of God himself is going to crash and fall and die and break the bones. You just go ahead and do it, Jesus, and everybody then will know how spectacular you are, how amazing you are. They'll see it, and you won't have to try to convince them that you're the Son of God. They'll know it because they'll see it. How many of us are tempted to be able to do something where other people are amazed? Wow, look at, look at what he's made of himself. Look at what she's done and created. Look at the lovely home that they've designed. Look at this family and the Christmas card that they get to curate and, and talk about and brag about. The temptations to be relevant, to be powerful, and to be spectacular can become actually a lens to look at the enemies against us being rooted in Christ. Because Jesus, as uh, Paul talks about in Ephesians, comes through with a different message. And, and Jesus himself knows this through these temptations. It is not what you can do that makes you valuable. It's not what you have. It's not what you're able to do or unable to do. It's not looking at in comparison to others and what they're, they've done and accomplished compared to you. It's not how many friends or followers you have on social media, how many people remember you to call upon you in a holiday or not. It's not the visitors you have. It's not what's in your 401k. It's not what your, the, the way your home looks. It's not how socially awkward you are or not that determines your value. You are not what you have. You are not what you do. You are not what other people say or think about you. None of those are real. You are beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's who you are. There is an enemy, though, who wants to convince you and I that that's not true. And every single place we look, Everywhere we go, even, even when we're most alone, like Jesus in the desert. There's a show, I've watched it a few times, and I've been watching this last week. It's on Netflix now. It's called Alone, and it's a reality show. I'm using air quotes. It's uh, 10 survivalists that get dropped off into the wilderness all on their own. They get to bring 10 items, and the game is who lasts the longest, 
And it's an interesting show to me. I've always watched those kinds of shows. And it's interesting to see these 10 different people, how they end up prioritizing structures and, and food and shelter. And some of them in the early parts <coughs> make these mistakes and they maybe hurt themselves or just cannot figure out how to fish or they make a shelter and it gets blown down by the first storm and then they tap out. They get to uh, call in and they get rescued. But then there's this uh, usually three or four out of the ten that make it. Their shelter is intact. They find sources of food. They're warm. And yet the second half of the show is where they really come unglued psychologically. And they turn into uh, two months, three months, 130 days, 140 days where they're completely isolated and alone. And they, some of them in the past, I've watched maybe two or three seasons over the years, some of them lose it. They start talking to themselves. They are like, they film themselves. They have little GoPro cameras and they will start talking through everything that they've ever done wrong, how, how many people are probably watching them and making fun of them. I was watching a guy uh, last night. He said, he was about to tap out and go home, and he just said, I know you're going to think I'm a failure, all of you. And he's talking to imaginary people. He's all by himself, and he's talking to people as though you're going to reject me, and I'm no good, and he's in tears as he taps out, and he says, the last thing he says, I'm going to be so ashamed to see my wife and kids. Why? It's insane as we watch it. It doesn't make any sense, except we've all been there. We've all been up in the middle of the night and had those voices come up. Who do you think you are? You don't have what it takes. You don't have enough. It's not going to work out. You're never going to make it. They're going to catch you any second and find out you don't really know what you're doing. All those things you've done, the mistakes you've made, the failures you've made, they're still here and it's your fault and you did it. Those voices come. I went to uh, Palm Desert a couple weeks ago with a friend of mine, and uh, it's a long story, but I haven't done a trip like that in years and years, and uh, he went home, and I was by myself for a night in this nice condo in Palm Springs on a golf course, and I had really scripted out the most lovely day I could ever imagine. Went to the gym, had a nice breakfast, I read the newspaper, I went and played golf, I watched a show, I watched uh, golf on TV, I then had two or three hours of work I had to do, meaningful work that I enjoyed doing. Uh, then I watched some baseball, and then I watched a movie, and I felt the entire day incredibly alone. I called my wife like five times. What are you doing? What's going on at home? And she's like, I'm, I mean, she's like, I'm busy. What do you want? I, and I'll be honest, there were two times where I started to cry of just, I'm just alone. I, what am I doing? Why am I here? I should just drive home. And I know all this stuff. I've been preaching this same message for 20 years. I've been to therapy. I journal. Like, I'm aware that this is happening to me. And I was actually fascinated that just a few hours of quiet and all the enemies came up. There they are. Even if you had asked me the day before, I would have said, I can't wait to go and spend a day by myself. I'm fine. Everything's going well. I have what it takes. I have enough. I'm doing the right things. And as soon as the loneliness comes, we want to be rooted in Christ. As Paul prays for, it's not just a wish, it's a reality. It's a reality that we can have. We can be rooted in Christ's love. And that could actually mean something. Not like maybe your grandma used to say, hey, God loves you, but actually it's your reality. It's how you live. It's how you see and think and move and act. I am inside of God's love for me. And yet there's this other character. The world, the flesh, the devil, whatever you call it, it's real. There is danger. And our lives, our spiritual transformation is not neutral. We need to be vigilant and watchful. We need to learn to respond as Jesus did, to call things what they are, lies temptations. We need to look back at scripture and remember who we are. We need to be together and tell each other who we are in Christ so that we can stay rooted. Let's pray. God, uh, thank you that we could have this story of Jesus being tempted. He, he himself was tempted. 
in the same ways that we're tempted, uh, tempted to try to control our lives, tempted to make something of ourselves, tempted to only feel secure and confident if we produce something, if people think well of us, if we have good reputation or good standing or enough money or have accomplished enough. And you let us know that none of that matters. So help us, help us to learn how to root ourselves in you, in your love, and cultivate the conditions of our lives and our hearts and our minds so that we have the best capacity, the best chance to stay rooted. So help us to see the temptations for what they are. Help us to see the world and our flesh and the devil for what it is, liars, deceivers, an illusion. And God, thank you that the reality is for us to step into your love, and that matters, and it means something, and it's accessible. So as we turn, return to you through music and sharing our resources through an offering, God, would you do something in us in these next few minutes to shift something in our heart? For those of us who have felt uh, beaten down, oppressed by insecurity or loneliness, or anxiety, or depression, for those of us who feel rejected, who, those of us who are rejected, those of us who don't have enough, and worry and wonder if anyone thinks about us or thinks well of us, God, I pray that we, you would shift something in us right now to know who we are in you. So in your name we pray, amen.
Love to invite you back in 15, 20 minutes or so to come back in here and sing another song, and then we're going to watch a film from the Alpha series. Uh, I remember uh, early days of my faith, I would talk to my mom a lot about my faith and trying to convince her to have my faith. And one time she said, how am I supposed to just magically make faith happen? And I, that's been a confounding question, and we're actually going to dig into that as a conversation topic with a film and a small group discussion. So I want to invite you back up for that in 15, 20 minutes. Until then, we got coffee. I think there's some food out there. Anybody tell me otherwise? There better be. Uh, and now, let me send you out with a sense that God is with you. May God the Father bless you with wisdom. May God the Son teach you about how much he loves you and you were held in his love. And may God the Spirit help you be loving and patient and kind wherever you go. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.